And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fan's Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan the Fan bats around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the Bat Around. Stan, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this Saturday, March the 30th. It is the last uh, Saturday in March, uh, as we will hit uh, April 1st on Monday. Orioles will uh, have their home opener on Thursday, April the 4th. Are you still psyched to get out there to Camden Yards? I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's But it's, you know, not for the baseball as much as... The beautiful ballpark and oh, the I atmosphere. thought you were going to say the beautiful and, babes. Oh, that doesn't hurt either. Yeah, okay. uh, we'll see how many they draw this year. We will see that. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a struggle this year. So I'm trying to figure out. Technology and I aren't always uh, the best of friends. See, I've known you for a while, and I got to say, this is the first time I would have thought that. Really? Yeah, that's very good. I, now you're just playing. You're playing our show. Oh, that's one here. Yeah, wow. you're. you're okay. uh, I'm trying to figure out. Uh, there we go. There I'm we trying go. to figure out how to uh, share it, like it, and share it from it's my underneath. phone. You got to scroll down a little bit. It should be a little uh, underneath the video. You would, should have the options. If I had to guess, I could. Oh, here it is. There yep. You go. Hold on. Now it's share back it. on the air. I'm liking it. There we are. Sharing it. Stand the okay. fan. And we share are. Now. Okay. And I'm we're liked in business. and shared, and we're back. We're back. This is amazing. Okay. All right. Well, we'll get, get that off. We'd have liked it and shared it. We Absolutely. got it in. But I owe Kyle Ottenheimer um, a, a, great, a great debt of gratitude, and so do Andrew Stetka, Jared Diamond, Ross Grimsley, Josh Soroka, and Craig Heist. Good guest list, by the way. Yes. A good, terrific guest yeah. list that, that I wanted to publicize. So I forgot my laptop again. Um, I got out of the house totally befuddled and confused as usual. So I have this list. I'll put it up Maybe. real quick. Real quick. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Okay. Either. I put that up real quick. That's our guest list today. So I said, hey, at least I know how to use Instagram on my phone, you know. So I wanted to take a picture of the guest list and me and the microphone. Yeah, so I handed it to right? I like handed it's a my good, good promotion. It's a great it's promotion. Fan, you know, great headphones promotion. on, yeah, the, microphone in front of him, yep, ready to great. start talking baseball. Great, with the guest with list. A great guest list. Great guest list with their phone numbers. Yeah. And Kyle goes, you don't want to take this picture. And I go, come on, take the picture. And Kyle goes, you don't want to take this picture. And I go, why? And he goes, because you got their phone numbers on there. So... I could so. see Jared Diamond today getting about 12 calls in the middle of the day wanting to talk about his uh, article that he wrote on the Orioles. Um, <laughs> baseball's worst team is finally joining. This does not have yeah. his phone number. Yeah, thankfully. Baseball's worst team finally joining the 21st century, and it details uh, how the Orioles are moving into the world of analytics. And for us in Baltimore, from around the country, I would think people are going, hey, that's pretty interesting. I think we've been well inculcated in knowing this. This is sort of like the, 
the organization's it mantra. It doesn't pull punches. Like no. it's it's putting it in a in a way that maybe Orioles fans would try to find a way to sugarcoat it a little bit. Exactly. But, you know, unfortunately, it's the it's the reality. And I, I think the 115 losses last year takes away the need for Orioles fans to even sugarcoat it. We know we're starting over, and this article by Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal details just how far they have to go, not in just the talent on the field, but more the systems that they want to run this ball club with, which are the analytically driven systems. And it's a it's a data collecting uh, situation right now. They don't really have the information about the majority of the players in the system, whether they be prospects or guys that are currently at the major league level. So they're kind of working through it all in live action, and it's a learning experience, not just for the players, but for the front office. So it's fans need to understand this is going to take some time. This is going to take some a lot of bumps, and it's it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, Mike Elias, uh, in the interview that we did with him, we got to sit down with him about seven weeks ago, eight weeks ago, before he went to Sarasota, and it made for our cover story. Uh, our cover story is actually an interview that I did with Mike Elias. He referred to not just this upgrading the analytics. He 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 compared it to trying to change a, a tire on a car that's moving sixty miles an hour. That's what his yeah. off season was like. And that's for what they're trying to do. Yeah, they have entered most likely, and this is what I would imagine Jared Diamond is referencing: the toughest situation in baseball to get up to speed. Yeah. There's a lot of work to be done to get the Orioles from where they were lagging behind to even league average and they're trying to get far past that. So if you're a nerd and like and, and I say that in a good way, I'm a kind of a nerd. Right. I like Fangraph. I love reading and and the minutia of it all and the numbers in baseball, but it, it that's the kind of person you'll have to be to really enjoy and appreciate what's happening for the next year or two. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of moments where you're like, I wish we were watching better baseball players. Yep. Yep. Um, but it's there's a lot there's a it's a it's a it's a long tunnel, but there's definitely light there at the end if you can just be patient. The the amazing thing though to me is, you know, I want to believe that Mike Elias and Sig Madal are truly like gurus, you know, and and I do believe that. But yet, I find it very entertaining every time I read the Orioles pick up such and such, I go, Jesus, what is it? Picked up like Mason Williams yesterday. And I go, why did they pick him up? There must be something in there. And I look at his minor league numbers and I say, yeah, they're pretty good. But his major league numbers, not real good on the on base person. Some of the, the key figures, like Pedro Severino, they pick him up. And I was hoping to see something. I said, oh, yeah, he was the guy with the Nationals who's got a little bit of pop. And then I look at the numbers and I go, really? That's you know, I better than what we had? I wouldn't be surprised, and this is, again, me just conjecturing. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we talk about, or Glenn talks a lot about, how in football and teams or, or if the Ravens are interviewing draft prospects. Mm -hmm. It might not be necessarily that they're planning on drafting the guy that year. But they want to, to get to know him better. They want to know exactly what kind of person he is so that if in the future he may become available in free agency, uh, they already have done some due diligence. It's possible that Michael Elias and company are just falling back on previous scouting. 
of some of these players, and that when and they were with the Astros, they liked what they saw from them. And at this point with the uh, Orioles, you can't really, you know, beggars can't be choosers for who you're adding to the system. I remember Mason Williams being up at one time about four four years ago considered a really top prospect with the New York Yankees, and then they traded him in some deal with the Cincinnati Reds, and he's sort of hung out there, and he's mostly played in the minor leagues. I think he did get about 145 at-bats at the major league level with Cincinnati last year, and it wasn't horrible, but yet there is no, there's no tool that really looks attractive to me. It's like you look at his home runs, sure. and they're pretty much zero to three at every level he plays. He's not exactly stealing bases. And the stolen bases right. have gone down and Could there's a lot of an approach, right? Like yeah. if it's an on base thing, then ultimately yeah. the system lacks those kind of batters and you kind of just add them where you can and try and see what you can do. I mean I look, in the Dan Duquette at the beginning of that era we were adding players at a oh, mind numbing pace. It was it was as if they they couldn't say no to anybody. Um and it worked out. This is a different kind of thing, but I'll take anybody that has any sort of ceiling and add them to our organization because, frankly, the the depth is not great. Yeah, there's no question about that. And and the real part of the rebuild has not been picking up Pedro Severino or Mason Williams. The real rebuild really begins in June with the of, with the with draft. July, July, June. Yeah, you're correct. June, June draft. And it's not. Look, they're gonna. It's hard. And to July mess, with the international. It's hard to mess up the first overall pick. Uh, whether you take Adley Rutschman, who I think a lot of people think is going to be the guy, or you take Bobby Witt Jr. Yeah. You're adding somebody who presumably, if not the number one prospect in your system, they are a top two prospect immediately, and they would they would be the number one prospect in your system. Um, it's what you do after that. It's the kind of players you're drafting. It's not just rounds two through ten. It's actually after the tenth round where you have the ability to give more money, like over slot, over and slot pay these guys. young high school arms who are, you know, people assume are going to go to college. But if there's a number that you can offer that gets them to sign and just join your organization from the get go, like that's. You can't yeah, be all afraid of, a of those three, guys. All of a sudden, three, four years from now, you got five or six of those guys. Suddenly, you and your team is getting a little bit better already. You use a couple of those to pick up a, a good player. And or, the thing know. about the baseball draft, it's funny. Like you, you know, in, in football and basketball, first round talent means you're a first round pick. Baseball is not quite the same way. You can be a first round talent in high school and end up way late because it's it's assumed that you're almost definitely going to end up in college. Mm-hmm. But Teams can add really good players in the later rounds if they have the money and are willing to spend it to sign them. So keep an eye on that. And then, of course, July 2nd, when the international the year turns over, which they still have some money to spend, so it's not as if they should be you know, no, inactive that, before that, then. That, right, no, that, no, that, that disappears. So the international market should be in play it should before be. July 2nd yep. as well. But once July 2nd rolls around, it better be a different tune than we've heard for the past 10 years yeah, in those Baltimore. Fir- those first 30 days after July the 2nd are hugely important If because, again, you're looking at one thing. When you get, when you get a top-tier talent uh, from the international market, and for, for, most, for all intents and purposes, we're really talking about Latin America. You know, yeah. we're talking about... The Dominican, Venezuela, you know, where um, a lot of the best players in baseball have come from. Yeah, and it's it's through the years it's been an increasing number. And but if you're talking about those guys, 
they, they can come a little bit quicker. You know, like Eloy Jimenez. They're more often the ones who are like at 18 years old already at like double A and running through. Because they start. Some of like, them play pro ball at 18, 19 right. years old in Cuba. And they've you know. been, I mean, it, all they, baseball is all that they do in these academies. It's it's yeah. it's a different world, literally, down there. Um, yeah, and you're adding, like I said, more first-round caliber talent. If they were available in the draft, they would be going very early, a lot of these guys. so All right, well, we're going to rehash and talk some more about some of these topics uh, with Andrew Stetka. Uh, he's going to join us. Andrew writes for the um, uh, uh, Utah Street Report and also for Masson. Uh, Andrew Stetka will join us at 1020, which is just a few minutes away. At 1045, the aforementioned Jared Diamond, very fine columnist, writer for the um, Wall Street Journal, is going to join us. And it was really funny, Kyle. This week I had two people last week, excuse me, send me columns. Both said, this would be a good guess for you. And one was the baseball's worst team is finally joining the 21st century. And the other, which is actually to me really fascinating is the death this doesn't have his phone number i don't believe it the the death of free agency and this is something we've sort of all witnessed the last actually year and a half you know from last winter's sort of dead uh, free agency period to this year uh, a free agency period that shows two terrific players in uh, craig kimbrell and dallas keichel still on the free agent market but He's basically saying the death knell has been rung for for what we once knew as free agency. That no longer players. When was this written? When was this published? This was written um, like last week. So I would be interested to get his take if it was. I I hope it was like about ten days ago because there's been a, a, spell, a really flurry of players signing away their arbitration years. Well, this includes the Eloy Jimenez signing. Okay, so it includes the Bregman signing. Brandon Lowe, is that mentioned? Because there's a I lot of guys. I don't think Lowe is mentioned, but he mentions the he mentions the deals for uh, 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 Goldschmidt, yep. Sale, Verlander, Aaron Hicks are mentioned. Uh, and just The how, idea of maximizing annual value instead of finding long-term deals and being able to, like, you yeah. know, it's a fascinating, it really is a fascinating economic climate in baseball right now. Yeah. And it, it's going to lead to a, a, maybe a strike. It really is. Well, I, I took the exact opposite approach the other night on Masson, and it'll be interesting to see if I'm right or you're right in this. We won't know for a little sure. while. I see a lot of optimism in in this realization that free agency is dead in that they're throwing an awful lot of money at young players who in the past have been forced to kind of go one year at a time sure. until they get through their arbitration years and get the free agency. I think the industry is not talking out of both sides of its mouth. I think it's saying clearly the analytics are telling us not to pay guys over 31 years of age in five, six, seven-year contracts, while the other side is saying, yeah, that's true, but we got to pay them – we got to pay them more than a – a, a, a pittance went while they're 21 to 26, 27 years And I age. think, but ultimately, right, the way the system is set up is that they are doing that. Every, every step of the way, the club is looking to suppress the player's wage as much as possible, and the system is set up. Like, the arbitration system is set up for that 
reason. There was an but, article but in the there's Athletic. More, but there's more gambling now. In other words, there's not a lot. If you keep giving a guy a year at a time mm-hmm. on an arbitration, your gamble is only that one year. Well, they're getting what, what should be close to fair value. Right. But, but you're talking now about giving Eloy Jimenez – guaranteeing him $75 million before he's had one at-bat in the major leagues, that's a gamble. It absolutely is. And it's also, remember, it's not all that different from some of the international contracts we've seen, like Rusny Castillo with $72 million down the drain for the Red Sox. It's not unprecedented to have investments like this in players. And I think, ultimately, the the White Sox should know more about Jimenez than than the Red Sox ever had the chance to know about Castillo. So at least you should think if they're going to extend the I'm sorry, who's Jimenez? Uh, Eloy. Oh, okay. Jimenez. Eloy. Uh, So, like, if... I don't have an issue, and I think that, ultimately, if you as an organization decide that a player is good enough, that you project them to be worth that, it's smart on your side to approach it. The player is where it's the question, is if a player's signing away their arbitration years or signing away beyond their arbitration years, it's what value are they potentially giving away. Like, how much could Brandon Lowe, who signed a nice $24 million contract, have been worth if it were fair value? Because $24 million for a really good player is a absolute bargain. It's a Longoria-esque bargain. Mm-hmm. In this environment, so that's really what's at what's at question here, and the players' association is going to have to figure out if they like. Yeah, uh, I think, uh, but I'm seeing more cause for optimism uh, between the two sides. The fact that they have had ongoing conversations. In fact, we were asked the other night on Masson what our big story of the baseball yeah. season is, and to me, it was a continued momentum of both sides talking and discussing. Look, both sides know that the game is afloat with a lot of cash. No doubt. You know, there's tremendous amount of money uh, right Did now. Did you hear the from the, in The Athletic there was a story, or at least a portion of a story that I saw on Twitter. Uh, Whit Merrifield, I think, was the one who tweeted and had quote tweeted and right. was talking about how it was part of the root of the issue here between the union and the owners, right? Essentially what the owners apparently and the teams do, arbitration every year there's a meeting where they all get together in a conference room and – discuss the tactics this year for how they're going to go about best optimizing their strategy. Which you mean each team individually or, or collectively? Each team's represented there. They have some, some front office members there and everybody talks. See, and, that smacks of collusion. Well, it's not necessarily. They're going into a legal sort of thing. It's like, well, how? So it's, it's all kind of odd. But on mm-hmm. top of that, apparently it's they're giving an award out. Sort of. The belt. Yes, yeah. the belt. The championship belt. And that's right. like that was what was really brought. It's like this is that was a, an ugly spin to it. I got to be honest yeah. with you. It that, makes that it teams all teams are there going at a boy. Yeah, right. you kept those guys down. Yeah. So I don't know exactly how how it's going to go. 2021, I believe, is when it's it could come to a head where the union and then the well, CBA the basic is agreement ends ends in two th- at the end of the 2021 season. And it's my prediction that in a very rare. Um, very rare scenario. It's never been done before. I'm predicting that next winter, if they have some progress on some of these playing issues, that I think they may open up the agreement and, go the and actually table. go to the bargaining table and come up with modifications and an extension 
that takes it to 2027, 28, or something like that. Admittedly, I you know I took sports business back in college, and mm-hmm. I'm familiar somewhat At the University with, of Delaware? Indeed, yeah. Uh, Josh Winninger, one of my favorite professors, fantastic professor, and he taught us a lot about the CBA negotiations, the way the process works, what can and can't or has to be bargained over right. in the leagues. And, you know, it is nearly unprecedented for you to have them go to the bargaining table during the terms of, I don't, is, is that allowed? It's, a, it's allowed. Both sides can, yeah. But now, both sides are going to allow this 26 man that they're going to add. Yeah. That's a change to the basic agreement. So then, essentially, whenever it goes to strike, it's not that it, both sides essentially are unwilling to go to the table is what it would come down to. A strike? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's basically it. The agreement like, would so run 90, out. In 94, right, like it, they could have done this had they had some sort of thing to agree yeah, but on. It's but it's historically never been done. Right. Basically... The, the owners right now have the total leverage over the players in this basic agreement. Yeah. Uh, Tony Clark signed a not a good deal. Yeah. Uh, they now have, and by the way, in his article about the death of free agency, he quotes the new MLBPA senior director for collective bargaining, Bruce Meyer, who is known as a real ball buster. Uh, he's very similar to a Don Fear. And uh, I think that that has been one of the things that's moved the owners to start to do some creative stuff. And we'll see if uh, Jared Diamond agrees. Uh, Andrew Stetka, Jared Diamond, Wall Street Journal, Ross Grimsley, uh, former Oriole left-handed pitcher, and then Josh Soroka of Section 336, and Craig Heist, who went to bed an angry man last night because Ratface was victorious. For what it's worth, uh, you know, most people in the state were rooting for Virginia Tech. What's that? I was rooting for Virginia Tech. I was very yeah, upset course. when he didn't make that put back. Of course. I'm, I'm rooting <laughs> for Duke. Yeah. I just, one of the things uh, it is, is I just can't root against Coach K. I know. You, you, are, like you, you revere K. him. You do. Yeah, I do. Uh, there's a lot, you know, I'd rather revere him than Craig Heist. You know. I, hey, for what it's worth, I might agree with you there. All right. But I like Craig. All right. Joining us right now, though, is Andrew Stetka, who joins us from out in sunny Arizona at 7.20 in the morning out there. Uh, is it already like 98 degrees, uh, Andrew? No, no, not at all. It'll only get up to maybe low to mid-80s today. We're still in that in that beautiful spring weather. We're still a few weeks away from, from the real hot temperatures. So you get like till May 15th is when it might start to be 90 in the morning, 95 uh, in the morning. Maybe. Maybe a little earlier than that. Maybe late April, early May. All right. All right. Well, we're in early April right now. And um, how funny has it been being out in Arizona? I know it's only two games, but to see number 10 uh, roaming the outfield for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, it's been interesting. He, you know, he homered uh, in, in the first game the other day. The D-backs got, got blown out, but he uh, he provided a late homer for them and, and led off the, the, the opener for them and then was batting cleanup yesterday. And, I mean, it's really interesting, you know, when they signed him, he was kind of a depth piece, but some of the injuries, especially the one to uh, Steven Sousa, have kind of stuck him in a everyday right fielder's role now for them. So he's he's the guy there, and he's going to get a lot of ABs uh, in in the outfield in Arizona. What a devastating injury that was! And so yeah, it was wild. And I saw when it happened too. They were playing a an exhibition at Chase Field, and and it was weird because the game wasn't televised, but there were all these videos popping up online. And and when I saw it from kind of like a a shaky camera phone video from just a fan in the outfield that popped up on Twitter. It looked a very bizarre, and he kind of tumbled over home plate, and 
to find out a day later that he completely tore pretty much every ligament in his knee was just devastating. It really is devastating. And, you know, especially for a guy like him who goes from being a sort of a big guy, but big and athletic guy who now is going to be somewhat compromised when he comes back, the speed aspect of his game will most likely take a big hit. Yeah, it's a shame, but uh, you know, Terrible every, somebody has to step up, and, and obviously that guy right now is Adam Jones. Speaking Trump, of stepping you know, up, for them. speaking of stepping up, we saw this with first base. So this is totally different because it's a different uh, substance. But we saw it with a wet first base with Bryce Harper a year before last, and right. now we see this at home plate, which clearly. Well, you're you're looking at cleat on like bone, you know, whatever home plate is made out of, but it's a substance that is can be very slick at times. Do you think there needs to be something done about the substance home plate is made of after this? Well, it's so it's so tough because home plate <clears throat> obviously, you know, there, the dirt gets kicked on it and yep. and it can get a little wet here and there. I mean, I know there's been discussion in the past of of even uh, changing the bases around, either making them flatter to the ground or maybe, you know, doing like we, we used to have in Little League where you have two bases at first base, so there's one to step on and one for the first baseman right, to have. Right. There's been all kinds of discussions. Um, you know, I, I think these are just things that happen over the course of a season to, to some players, and, and they're unfortunate, but I don't know that they're going to make any sweeping changes with any of this. It's just one of those things that uh, that, that tends to happen in, over the course of a season. It's got me thinking because I remember there was all this outrage about first base and everything. Did did they make any change to first base, Kyle? Do you remember, or did they just? They were discussing making the base bigger. Um, right. I, I don't. As far as I know, they weren't planning on changing the material. I mean, it's right. been the same as. You know, I, there are so few instances of this that maybe it feels like this could just be... That game with Harper, though, remember it had been a lot of rain that yeah, night. Yeah. So I, don't I think know if they it's were going to make a concerted effort to make sure the base was dry. maybe that's like if the umpire has to go and wipe off dirt on the yeah. base, then I would think that maybe you could give him a towel and see yeah. if he could... Well, and what you don't think about, too, is if you're going to change the bases around significantly, whether you're going to make them bigger or smaller or whatever else, it really does change. I mean, we, we talked about, you know, a game of inches. It changes the distance between the bases if you're going to make them bigger yeah. or smaller. You know, 90 feet may become uh, 85 and a half, or, well, they could or just, sorry, 89 and a half feet. They or, could just make know, sure that they wherever yeah, the front of the bag is, the front of the bag, yeah. Yeah, it changes things around quite a bit for, for, for players who are so used to a routine and so used to, you know, one one type of game. You know, uh, the two episodes last year in the playoffs where Manny Machado, you know, bumped into those players, uh, I've always, and believe me, I have enough things I can say against Manny, but I always defended him on that. I don't think Manny at his heart is a dirty player. I don't think the Dustin Pedroia play two years ago was a dirty play. I thought it was kind of a lazy play. Uh, But those instances where he hit, uh, Jesus Aguilar, and who was the other first baseman he hit um, in the playoffs last year? I can't remember. Was it uh, somebody with the? Ooh. It was in the. Was it in the World Series? But but regardless, both of those first basemen. I think it was Pierce. Was it Pierce? Uh, I know the. But I mean, both of the first basemen are fairly inexperienced first basemen. And one of the things I learned, and I went to Ted Williams baseball camp in 1967, 
and I was a first baseman, and Eddie Wakeus, who was known as one of the great defensive first basemen, he's also mm-hmm. the character in The Natural who gets shot okay. by the, you know, the... Uh, the fanatical fan who's in love with him. That's a true story, by the way. Hmm. But Eddie Wakeus knew how to play first base, and I watch how a lot of inexperienced first basemen play. They're not, not they, right. they're not just touching the bag Their correctly. Foot's on top Their of foot's the bag. Foot's on top of the bag is yeah. not the way you're supposed <clears throat> to do it. Hundred percent. Yeah, rather than just having an edge of it, you know. Yeah. Well, one of the on, reasons on you the have bag. the edge. Is that way you reach out for the ball right. you and you catch it a split stride, second? You stride like you you stay standing up straight yep. and then you stride towards the throw and your foot's supposed to the side of your foot is supposed to be against the side of the bag. Correct. And you're not supposed to be on top of it. You're supposed to like slide from corner to corner yep. depending on where the throw is. Yep. And Aguilar's foot was on top of it. His foot was heel was hovering yep. over the base. Now, in fairness to Aguilar. Manny should be more observant of that, but but I I think it takes it takes out the mean spiritedness of what Machado was. doing. I maintained earlier that I thought that was more a and there was not a lot of people talking. I thought that was Aguilar. He had Clumsy he had put himself in the line of danger when he put on the bag like that. I don't think Machado was trying to clip him. That was, right. Machado may have been awkward. First and, of all, you'd be an idiot to try and absolutely to, to hurt. I mean, to to hit him, right. that guy could tear Manny <laughs> apart two sides to, you know. Um, hey, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about with the Arizona Diamondbacks before we declare them the Orioles West, uh, you you clarified this morning that Caleb Joseph is now playing for their AAA, the Diamondbacks AAA franchise in Reno, correct? Yeah, he, he did not make the, the active roster coming out of spring training. He signed a minor league deal, so that was kind of one of those things that I wouldn't say was expected to happen, but, but was definitely in the realm of possibility. Um, so he's one of their you know kind of catchers in reserve down there in, in AAA. But you pointed out, they, they, you talk about moving to an organization with some depth. They've got Alex Avila, who's on the second year of his contract, You've got Carson Kelly, who you picked up in the Goldschmidt trade, who at one time, two or three years ago, was a very highly thought-of prospect. And then you've got the guy that uh, the Minnesota Twins traded to the Yankees for Aaron Hicks. Um, I mean, Hicks went to the Yankees, and John uh, Patrick Ryan went to the Minnesota Twins. That's an organization that's got some depth at the catching position. Yeah, and Caleb is on the forty-man roster for the Diamondbacks, so okay. he's kind of the next man up. Um, if if you know if something were to happen, they've got three active catchers on their roster, so it could be a situation uh, down the line here where you've got not only Adam Jones uh, but Christian Walker as well, who's kind of taken yeah. the role of Paul Goldschmidt at he's, first base for them. He's Paul Goldschmidt light. He also yeah, he's kind of Jones. become their you know their their guy there at first base for the most part. Yeah, Paul Goldschmidt, by the way. Christian Walker has two home runs this season, including a three-run homer last night that tied the game. But Paul Goldschmidt has three yeah. all in yeah. one game. Last all last night. night. He's great. a hell of a player. He is a great, great player. I think, and we were talking about this the other night on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report. Actually, last night, Rob Long and I were in agreement saying that uh, we think Paul Goldschmidt may be the most impactful acquisition of any team in the big leagues this year. But – uh, Christian Walker, you mentioned him, and I was getting ready to mention him. Is he figure to play, like, at this point in time, as much as maybe 120 games or so at first base? 
I think as long as his bat stays, you know, the way it has, kind of. I mean, he showed showed something at the end of last year, kind of under the radar for a D-backs team that was hovering right around 500 and, and didn't have any playoff aspirations. Um, I think as long as his bat still, can, you know, continues to show up in the way that it started to at the end of last year, that he'll get the playing time um, that you know that he earns so, so much as you know so much as the the D-backs want to let him play there I mean he, he did not you know have a great season statistically last year um, by any stretch but I think they see a little bit in him that you know nobody's going to replace Paul Goldschmidt at first base but um, but he's certainly a guy that they're looking to to at least give them some some at-bats there. We're talking with Andrew Stetka, who lives in Arizona, Phoenix, right outside of Phoenix, and uh, he writes for the um, Masson Utah website Street Report. and also the Utah Street Report. We're talking to him a little bit about the O's and the D-backs. Uh, the Orioles, does it surprise you that uh, we're in game two and uh, manager Brandon Hyde is already waving the white flag at uh, his starting rotation and we're getting Nate Carnes today at 105 as the opener uh, first for the Orioles. Well, it certainly doesn't surprise me because who are the five pitchers that would be in a rotation right now? I mean, you've got an injury to to Alex Cobb that that obviously forced Andrew Kashner into the start on opening day and uh, you know, Dylan Bundy's set to go tomorrow and then, you know, who else is there? I mean, uh, there's not many options for for Brandon Hyde in this rotation for for pitching. I mean, he's going to throw Carnes out there today, and we'll kind of see who who follows. I wouldn't really expect um, him to to go with a lefty behind him just because the Yankees lineup is so right hand heavy. But yeah. I mean, there are options for him to piece it together. Um, it's yeah, not I would really think that Ca- surprising. I, I would think Castro or uh, Wright or Hess could go again for an inning or two. Yeah, Wright should be available. He he pitched a little bit on Thursday, not not very effectively, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, he could go with you know Jimmy Yacobonis, uh in that bullpen. I mean, there's there's definitely options for him to to come out with um, behind Carnes. But I, I'm interested to see how how deep Carnes can go. Maybe he can get two in, two innings out of him. I'm thinking um, two two is the max yeah that. that you know that would be ideal, and then you, you kind of piece it together from there. But um, you know, it's not surprising to see them them going this route. I mean, I think a lot of people almost expected Carnes to stretch out over the course of spring training and become a starter, and that obviously wasn't able to happen. Um, you're talking about a veteran arm who has had you know injury problems coming off of um, the elbow injury last year. He missed the entire season, so see, see, they're going to have to take it easy to keep him healthy. See, I think Carnes. It's been interesting. I I tagged him as somebody that I wanted about six, seven weeks ago before the Orioles signed him. But in my estimation, I look at his career. To me, he is sort of a late-inning, high-leverage guy in waiting. And the strikeouts per innings pitched, and the fact that he hadn't pitched at all since 2017 in, in big league games, regular season games, to me, yelled out as this is a guy who went pitching one or two innings two or three times a week rather than trying to stretch him out as a starter. Your thoughts well, on that? Well, and that could be his role as an opener. You know, he could be part of the rotation as an opener, pitching two, maybe three innings per quote-unquote start. I mean, mm-hmm. that could be what they do with him. Um, it's, it's interesting you brought up him being more of a high-leverage guy. For me, in this season where there's not any expectation for the Orioles to win games. I don't see any high leverage situation for the Orioles. So it's, you know, I, not, I the, understand- not to poo-poo your statement, but 
it's just they're they're just going to try to piece together whatever they can in order to get innings out of this pitching staff. It's not really a, a any kind of a situation where they're. I think they're testing people. They they got to just get through this season with what they've got. Well, but I think he's and believe me, I haven't gone over the entire twenty five man major league roster with a microscope to say this. He is one of the guy, one of the only people on this team that I think could pitch well enough to, A, either afford you the luxury of trading Michael Givens if if they have him, if their eyeballs on him would see the same thing I see and have an inexpensive guy taking over. And I agree with you. It's not like this team needs Aroldis Chapman or, uh, you know, uh, Greg Holland or a high, high-priced closer. Or he could he – could, show himself to be valuable in that role and create value in and of himself in a trade. Sure. Sure. And I think I think every pitcher on this staff is in that position and I I include Dylan Bundy in that role. I mean, it, it, if if Dylan Bundy comes out and uh, you know, pitches his tail off in the first half of the season and creates value for himself, I think the Orioles have to look at the possibility of trading him just like they did with Kevin Gossman last year. They 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 Maybe didn't trade him at his peak value, but traded him and, and got what they could for him. And I think that's that's the case with any pitcher on this roster, um, and truthfully, all, almost every position player on this roster. You see, what scares me is when we get around to the trade deadline, I look around and I don't know that I'm feeling confident enough in Kashner and Bundy to have done that. You know, shown themselves no, to be no, somebody. I, I, you know that that the Minnesota Twins won in the middle of a pennant race. That's why I'm looking at, believe it or not, a small nugget like what I think Carnes could show in small doses as being sure. valuable to somebody. And there's no great expectation that, that these guys are going to perform well no. enough to get traded no. um, or to, to provide themselves any value. But that's there, a hope. That's there a is hope that hope. There's season. no question about it. We're talking with Andrew Stetka. Uh, just a couple more minutes. Um Anything else surprise you about the way this roster was constructed? You know, much has been made over the last 10 days about sending Austin Hayes down, sending Chance Cisco down, which I think caught an Oriole fan base by surprise that they weren't at least going to go with the guys that were doing well, uh, you know, and say, hey, let's roll the dice with these young players. No, none of that really surprised me. Um, none of it bothered me. It, it, I'm fine with all of it. The fact that they want to give Chance Cisco some more time in AAA is fine with me. Uh, the same, you know, Austin Hayes is, is dealing with an injury anyway right now, so um, all of this is 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 not surprising. The one thing I'm keeping an eye on, and this is going to become a theme, kind of throughout the first few months of this season, everybody is going to be super focused on the elephant in the room and that's Chris Davis and what goes on with him. Yeah. And, you know, he played the other day but then was lifted for a pinch hitter in the ninth with a Chapman on the mound. That's the kind of thing that I, I under Buck Showalter I'm not hundred percent sure ever would have happened. Um so there's a little bit of a difference already we're seeing even in just one game um, with what's going on with Chris Davis. And then today the Orioles, uh, the Orioles get James Paxton on the mound and Davis is on the bench. So all of a sudden, you're starting to see the Orioles are, you know, how how Brandon Hyde handles him is going to be really interesting in these first few weeks and months. Um, it's just it's it's 
one of those things that I'm really curious to see how it totally works out for Chris Davis, whether he is a guy that, that doesn't see a lot of um, a lot of action against left-handers, whether he, I mean, he, he hit, what, down at seventh in the order the other day. Yep. Yep. Um, it's just, it's, it's going to be one of those really interesting things to see if they're going to get Trey Mancini more time at first base, because is that the long-term uh, future for him? Um, are they going to play, uh, you know, Renato Nunez more, uh, along with Rio Ruiz. It's just, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic to see. And that's what I'm kind of looking at in the early going here is can Chris Davis, I mean, Chris Davis the other day with the, 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 the one at bat where he works the count to three and O and then these two pitches he thought were, you know, outside this outside the zone, uh, that they get called strikes and then goes down swinging. I mean, that was just the most Chris Davis at bat. Yep. That, that that we've seen over the last few years. And it, it's it's frustrating for Orioles fans to watch, but they're going to have to stick it out and continue to watch it. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see what this front office and this coaching staff does with him going forward, whether or not this is a, the final few months of Chris Davis on this roster or whether or not this is just the beginning of, of you know, a long, you know, kind of drawn-out process with him here. It, mm. it, it's that's what I'm really yeah. I'm interested to see how they move on from him in the long run. You you bring up a very interesting point with that. And it was very interesting. We talked about it last night on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report where Brandon Hyde was asked why he batted him seventh. And it, isn't it interesting? A year ago, remember what, what position Chris Davis was batting? He was batting leadoff. Right. And both right. Buck Showalter and Brandon Hyde basically did the the. Se- did what they did for the same reason, which was, well, we want Chris to take a little pressure off of him. And uh, I maintain that the only thing that can take pressure off of Chris Davis is himself. You know, the pressure that he's gotten himself in, the box he's gotten himself in, seems to be a room of no escape. Uh, and look, I, far be it from me, uh, I wouldn't want people to talk about my psychological health uh, publicly, but I I would wonder where in the in the list of things that are working on with Chris Davis is the thought of having him talk to a sports psychologist or whether he has already because to me uh, Chris has gotten himself into this and he's battling a lot of different ways, but I don't know that he's addressing his own eight thousand pound elephant in the room, which is what's between his left ear and his right ear. Right, and 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 there's no question about any of that. Those are all great points. And the only other thing, other thing that I would point out that's interesting, you mentioned Chris Davis batting leadoff, and if I can, if you can indulge me in some overreaction theater, to you know, not even two games into the season, um, what what was interesting to me seeing the lineup come out today is the other question mark we have on this team is who are going to be the outfielders alongside Cedric Mullins in center field. Well, Cedric Mullins is on the bench today, and he's not hitting in the, in the leadoff spot. They've I'm got Drew Jackson. Drew Jackson, yeah, that would be would have been um, my guess. Yeah, which 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 is interesting to me because everyone I think kind of assumes Cedric Mullins is the everyday center fielder. Well, we're two games in, and he's on the bench today as well. Jonathan VR is hitting leadoff, um, and you interestingly enough have Joey Rickard in right again, and Dwight Smith Jr. in left again, but no Mullins in the lineup. So I thought that was interesting. Um, that is know, very. And like I said, it's it's it's. It's overreaction theater at this point. We're, 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 we've seen two lineups and, and, and one game so far, but I did find that interesting to see that not only was Davis left out of the lineup for today's game, uh, but Mullins was as well, and it'll be interesting to see how much, uh, how, how often that kind of thing happens. Yeah, as well and keep in, mind, 
keep in mind Mullen's a switch hitter, but these splits are dramatically uh, correct. You know, uh, you know, much. I think he had four home runs last year at the major league level. All four were left-handed. Uh, right. and uh, hit like 180 from the right-hand side or less maybe even than that. Which always makes you wonder, why is a guy a switch hitter yes, if, he's, I <laughs> if he's not putting up the numbers on I both agree. sides? All right, Andrew Stetka, we really appreciate your taking time. So early in your morning, you sound like the coffee worked well. Absolutely. All right, thank you, buddy. It's Andrew Stetka of the um, – uh, Utah Street Report and also of Masson. Hey, Press Box's high school lacrosse show is brought to you by Jerry's Tire Service. Convenient to downtown, Fells Point and Canton. Clean, safe, and secure. Jerry's Tire is a complete tire and service center for your car or truck. See them online at jerrystires.com. That's Jerry's, G-E-R-R-Y-S, tires.com. The Press Box High School Lacrosse Show with Booker Corrigan is live every Monday at 1215 at Facebook.com slash Sports and available throughout the week at PressBoxOnline.com. Maryland, it's the craziest time of year for college basketball, so don't miss a minute of the madness. Fridays through Sundays in March, watch your favorite teams compete for a spot in the championship on 74 feet of HD LED screens in the Sportsbook and Sports Bar at Laurel Park. With food and drink specials during games and thrilling live thoroughbred racing Friday through Sunday, there's no better place to indulge in the madness. Visit Facebook.com slash Laurel Park for details. We'll see you there. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Stan the Fan Charles sits down with new Orioles general manager Mike Elias to discuss the plan for guiding the franchise back to prominence. Plus, Hopkins legend Paul Rabel details his vision for how the PLL can be a game changer for pro lacrosse. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. One-third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square is very, very popular, as you've undoubtedly noticed if you've been there recently. Want to skip the lines completely? Download the Chick-fil-A app, and your food will be ready when you get there, but not a minute sooner. Your hot, fresh waffle fries, fresh, never-frozen chicken, and ice-cold drinks will be delivered to you when you get there. They'll bring it out to your car, or you can come in and get it without standing in line. Plus, ordering through the Chick-fil-A app earns you reward points that will add up to free stuff. And the app remembers what you like. So if you like extra pickles, then the app remembers. If you prefer less ice in your drink, the app remembers. Anytime you customize your order, the Chick-fil-A app will file it away and remember for your next visit. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. If you need help downloading the app, ask the Nottingham Square store owner, Steve. Steve can do anything. Chick-fil-A, get the app, skip the lines. 
Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. This is former Terp AJ Francis, just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the bottom of Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo, Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy Y2AJ here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. And we are back on the battle round on this Saturday morning. We will remind you tomorrow morning, 10 to 12, uh, it'll be Ken Zalish and Kyle Ottenheimer with the Fantasy and Reality Football Show and all week long, Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer with a G. CR Glenn Clark Radio, uh, and you can watch all of your programming here on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash Sports. Joining us now is, again, someone who uh, was uh, introduced to me by two separate emails this week, uh, pointing out two columns that they thought would make good topics for being a guest on this show, and I reached out to Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal and uh, now I've got him on the show. Jared, thank you for taking the time, and I hope you're feeling uh, fit as a fiddle right now. Doing much better. It's a beautiful day today. I'm in Washington, D.C. right now. It's 70 degrees. There's cherry blossoms out. It's, uh, it's a good day to be outside. You going to see uh, Syndergaard? And uh, who's he pitching against today? Syndergaard versus Strasburg. You going to see that? Yeah, actually. Actually, not going to that. I'm, I'm moonlighting this weekend on college basketball, covering Duke in the regional finals tomorrow. Ah, so not a bad be a little fun. Yeah, taking a, a quick two-day break from baseball. All right. Should be fun. What, since I have you on and you were at the game last night, your impressions of Duke, uh, th- their record was pretty poor in games that they trailed by four or more at halftime. Yeah, you know, they've looked vulnerable now, two games in a row, which – I think it's a little bit of a surprise uh, to maybe those of us who haven't followed it as closely. Uh, the big thing it seems like with Duke is if you could force them to shoot threes, you have a chance because they just really don't shoot threes very well. The reality is if, they, if Zion Williams gets the ball and starts driving to the basket, it's over. He's an absolute, he's a freak. And I don't have ever quite seen a, a guy quite like him. Just how athletic he is. He, he could jump like, over the rim. Now, have you covered Duke in the past? Because I, I, have, I lived in Durham for three and a half, four years, about 20 years ago, and I happen to have great respect for the program and for Coach Krzyzewski, but there's an awful lot of people, like up here from the days of the rivalry with Maryland, that just think that Duke is given every advantage by the referees and there's a Duke bias in the broadcast. Do you size any of that up? I know everyone feels that way, and I was hearing that last night. But then at the end of the day, you think about that, that last possession for Virginia Tech last night, and the refs uh, gave Virginia Tech a huge call with 
not seeing that one player stepping on the line that would have mm-hmm. given the ball back to Duke with five seconds left. So that was almost a, a season-ending referee error against Duke. Uh, it didn't work out. I think the Duke magic, though, was that last shot not going in because that was an incredible play that Virginia Tech uh, drew up. It went perfectly. Everything was perfect about it except for the finish. You, you know what's interesting about that play? And Kyle Ottenheimer, who's in here with me, uh, uh, knows how I feel about Duke, and I know how he feels about him. Rather but, rather frustrating but, miss, but, but I'm not. But I'm not suggesting that that was truly a foul by Zion Williamson, but Williamson's body seems like it got over there, and that guy couldn't get straightened out, and the more Williamson's momentum was leaning into him, I think that body, if you look at that and slow it down, it moved him off target because that was an almost unbelievable miss. Yeah, it looked like the it looked like the Virginia Tech player never quite caught the ball. I think he had more time than he realized. Yes, exactly. He had an extra split second to make sure he secured the ball before putting it up. It's as if he thought there was only that point six seconds left instead of right. the one point yeah. one they ended up Good. putting on. He had that extra, you know, fraction of a second, I thought, that he didn't take. Well, that felt like it was a play 4.6. Yeah. Yeah, It seemed like the design of that play was designed for the situation before they added the half a second. But it worked, nonetheless. It it worked, but it didn't work. Uh, One thing in talking about the Baltimore Orioles uh, circa 2019 is they are under no time pressure like that, that play of 0.6 seconds or 1.1. Your piece, baseball's worst team is finally joining the 21st century, centers around the organization's shift to getting in gear with most every other baseball team in doing a deep dive into the analytics. Could you talk a little bit about that, Jared? Yeah, I think it really shocked me, and I think it shocked many in the industry, just how behind the Orioles were under their, their old regime, under Dan Set and Buck Walter, in, in ways like analytics. They, their analytics department was tiny. At max, it was three people. The biggest it ever was was three people. By the time Mike Elias got there, it was one person, which you think about other teams. You're talking about analytics departments that are a dozen, 15, even more people. Yeah. And the fact the Orioles never had more than three in 2018 is absolutely shocking. Uh, they also had very little international scouting presence, as if, as if they just decided to punt yep. on, on international signings for years, uh, which just put them way behind. And I think the fact that they had that success for those few years uh, almost uh, hid just how behind they were. And that's a credit to Buck Walter and those players for sort of putting together a really good team there for a few years. But it also stopped them from really changing, which... Now it makes things a little bit harder for this new regime, really having to start from scratch. And the key word that I've been using all during the, the winter. Now, you know, your piece, while it's interesting, I think would be really news for people all around the baseball map. But in Baltimore, we kind of knew that this, this, change, this changeover was taking place. But it's, a, it's fascinating that uh, the word that I used was sustainable. What the Orioles did from 2012 to 2017 just simply wasn't sustainable because it it called upon them to use resources that they weren't going to have over the long haul. Exactly. And this in this new group with Mike Elias, Sig Nadel, two of the smartest people in baseball, and also guys that 
sort of know what it's like to go through a, a complete rebuild. You think about those guys going through what they went through in Houston and turning that around and now turning the Astros into, you know, one of the best organizations in baseball a team that we all think has a good chance to win another World Series this year. That's what they're going to have to try to do in Baltimore. But there is a challenge. And in many ways, this is a harder situation than what they had to do with the Astros. When they got to the Astros, uh, they were able to do things no other team was doing. The Astros were so far ahead of everybody back in 2012. They're not anymore. So now the Orioles have to find a way to get ahead of everybody else when everyone else is doing it. There's much more competition. Teams are much smarter. And it's something Mike Elias and Sigmato talked to me about very honestly, which is, yeah, we could become the 2018 Astros very fast, but that's not going to be good enough when it's 2020, 2021. I understand that. We're talking with Jared Diamond of Wall Street Journal. He's written two pieces in the last week. Baseball's worst team is finally joining the 21st century and the death of free agency in baseball, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, I wanted to talk about that, and that answer you gave kind of paced my next question, was about how different the landscape is now than when Lunau, Elias, and Maydahl went to Houston nine, ten years ago. Nobody was really diving deeply into the analytics. So how much different is it for Sig Maydahl and what they have to do? Because one of the key things that Maydahl was so great at, according to the book um, Astro Ball, was in his draft efficiency. Yes, that's something that went back to Jeff and Sig with the Cardinals, that they were doing in the draft and player development was really remarkable. And then when they got to the Astros, they put the focus largely on technology. You think about uh, the Astros were the only team for a while to have edgertronic cameras to capture data on pitchers. Now every single team does. That's how fast things change. When you have an advantage in baseball, it does not last very long. Things get out. There's attrition. People go to other organizations and share your secrets. So it's really hard to keep anything sort of private for very long, which that's really the challenge of this whole industry is finding an advantage, being able to utilize it for as long as you possibly can, knowing that eventually you're going to have to start from scratch and come up with something new. And the thing the Astros have done very well is always being ahead of the curve. So the Orioles first need to sort of join the pack then they have to find a way to jump on top of it. When you talk about that, which actually was leading perfectly into my next question, look, like you said, they're going to have to join the pack. They can't just jump from point A to point, like I guess E is kind of where we're talking here. Um, we've mentioned and discussed the idea of the time frame for the rebuild, how long it will take until they're competitive again. How much do you think the fact that the Orioles were so far behind how much time do you think that adds to the overall picture? Look, it's not going to be quick. In the next year or two, probably are not going to be a lot of fun for fans in Baltimore. But remember, the Astros were in the playoffs in 2015. They got there, Sig and Jeff got there in 2012. And by 2015, they were in the postseason. So it can turn around relatively quickly. It doesn't have to be seven years. That's not going to be any consolation to Orioles fans this year or next year. The, the Orioles also have a bunch of money on the books that it's going to be challenging to move in the form of Chris Davis. I know that name probably sends shivers of everybody's spine in Baltimore these days. Uh, and I understand why it's, it's sort of painful to have watched what's happened to him over the last couple of years. 
So like, those are certainly challenges. They also play in a much in a very challenging division. They're in the division with the Yankees and the Red Sox, which is always going to present a challenge for the Orioles. But look, I, I think after this year and next year, it's reasonable to start saying, okay, uh, where are we? Are we starting to get closer by in 2021? Do we at least see a path? The goal should be after 2020 to at least see a path to where this can turn around. Because right now, as we sit here today, it's very hard to sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel at all. We're talking with Jared Diamond, who wrote the piece, Baseball's Worst Team is Finally Joining the 21st Century. More of a look into the, um, the dive the Orioles are making in the analytic world. To explain something to us and our listening audience and edify uh, Kyle and myself, when you have, let's say the Orioles right now might have four or five analytics people, uh, we would think that eventually that would be 12 to 15. What are these people working on day to day? Do you have any great sense of that? Like they come in the office. I know when I come in, I've got a, a hit list of things that are kind of normal uh, work. Uh, what do those guys do, guys and gals do? Well, look, the first thing for the next year or so for these people yeah. is going to be just building models, building projection systems, building computer programs that allow the Orioles to project performance in players and project performance in the draft. The draft, obviously, is going to be the first priority. The Orioles have the number one pick in a couple of months, and they need to build these systems from scratch. And that takes time. It takes it really will take probably a year before they have uh, good projection systems, both in the major league level and for amateurs. After that, it depends on the time of year. Of course, in the off season, it's about trying to look at these projections to try to figure out who should we be targeting in free agency or in trade. And then during the season, it's largely looking at numbers to try to figure out where players can improve and how to best utilize players. Dig into the numbers to see where relievers have success, what inning against what kind of hitters, what pitch sequencing works for them to help Brandon Hyde and his staff make better decisions. And really, that's all this is about. Analytics really are just about helping the people in charge make smarter, more informed decisions when they're sitting on the bench during the game. Jared Diamond, I want to move to the, the second column you wrote or article that you wrote, The Death of Free Agency in Baseball. Uh, I found that piece really, really interesting. And uh, listen, I've been around, I'm 67 years old, been doing talk radio since the early 80s. So I've been there at the 81 strike, the 94 strike, and everything in between. And uh, baseball has had this, this kind of labor piece for a long time that suddenly is rearing its ugly head again. As recently as January... I was predicting with the hiring of Bruce Meyer by uh, Major League Baseball Players Association that we were in for, like, you know, the winds of war, that we were really sort of hunkering down for a battle that was going to take place. But a strange thing happened on the way to that battle. It seems like the two sides are talking now about a lot of... um, uh, It started out with a lot of sort of rule changes and roster changes... And all of a sudden, I see this spate of young players signing extensions, and I'm seeing this in a whole different way now, that owners, uh, management, and the Players Association, they may take the unprecedented tact of reopening their basic agreement before it's over 
to 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 extend this thing and change it quite drastically. Your thoughts on that? Well, look, things are not good overall. There's a lot of tension still that exists on the player side, especially. They yep. are not happy about a lot of things. That said, uh, I do think that both sides recognize how bad a strike would be, number one, mm-hmm. given everything that's going on in baseball. And two, I think there are some issues, some issues where the league recognizes that it's in both sides' interest to make changes. One big one, for instance, is this idea of service time manipulation. Mm-hmm. Teams not calling up their best players because they're worried about keeping them seven years down the road. That's an issue that I think even the owners agree is not for the game, to have these star minor leaguers languishing in AAA for the first month of the season for no other reason other than we want to be able to keep them seven years from now. So there are certain issues where I think everyone's in agreement. We could make changes. Now the big question, though, is going to be uh, whether they could agree on fundamental changes to how time and free agency works. The players are going are, are saying accurately, in my estimation, that they are screwed at the beginning of their careers because they're stuck to their team for six years. Right. And now teams are saying, we're not going to pay you in free agency because players in their early to mid-30s aren't worth that kind of money. Well, players are saying, well, it can't be both. It has to be one or the other. We either have to be paid for what we've done in the past or we have to be paid for what we are currently doing. And, and, and let, me just uh, jump in, think- let me just jump in and ask you, though, isn't that sort of what these extensions, while I know that they're not technically just free agent uh, extensions, but aren't some of these extensions addressing those needs on the player's side? In some cases, yes. But then you still have, say, Aaron Judge, who I could, you could argue is the most visible player in baseball, mm-hmm. at least in that upper upper restaurant, he's making $600,000 this year. Right. Uh, these extensions, while they have been lucrative, you don't have the opportunity to negotiate with any other team. So you, as a player you still lack leverage in these negotiations. Mm-hmm. And yes, Mike Trout has gotten a monster deal, and some of these other superstars did. But you look at some of the other extension signs, you look at Luis Severino, Aaron Nola, uh, others. Those were extensions that were clearly below market for players of that caliber, and they signed them because they see the free agent landscape, and they say, I don't know if I want a part of that, and I want to lock things in now. And look, I would never, ever criticize a player for accepting a contract that guarantees them $40 million, $50 million. It's life-changing money. Yep. And I would never say a player is wrong for taking it. However, I understand why other players look at those deals and say, that's hurting me. For It's hurting players for to choose to go to free agency when great players are taking these below-market deals. The basic, uh, the basic premise of your article, though, is with these changes that are going on right now, we are really in the midst of seeing the death of the free agent system as we've known it since back in 1976. Yeah, we're really looking at a landscape now moving forward where it's hard to see many free agents heading there in their 20s. Uh, and that's really the key. Being afraid in your 20s is crucial to getting a, a big contract. Yeah. We saw that with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado just this winter. You look ahead, there are not many more guys that you could see getting there. You know, Mookie Betts is one. Mm-hmm. If you look far enough ahead, you start seeing Ronald Acuna or, or Juan Soto. But who knows? Maybe some of these guys will start signing extensions, too. It seems to be all the rage now. So, look, we'll see what happens. It's also important to remember that in 2022, once there's a new CBA, the whole landscape could look a lot different. And I think teams are sort of preparing for that as well. 
Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal, we really appreciate your coming on and discussing these two fascinating articles that you've written over the past 10, 12 days, uh, and glad you're feeling better. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. All right, enjoy the games tomorrow. All right? Yep. All right, that's Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal. Really interesting guest, and uh, uh, very interesting to think that, you know, a system that's been in place since I remember Kyle, the Orioles were the team that uh, when free agency came into being, the Orioles were the one team that spring that made a significant trade. We traded Don Baylor and Mike Torres to the Oakland A's and got back Reggie Jackson and Ken Holtzman. (laughs) And Reggie Jackson was an impending free agent, and the Orioles ended up offering him exactly what he wanted but they offered it to him in October, not in April, and the Yankees came in and blew him away. And I think it was for something like, I think his contract, his first big five-year deal was for like something like $15 million. Jeez. And in spring training, I think he had wanted 9 or $10 million, and the Orioles traded for him and didn't sign him to that deal because it was an unknown landscape. Sure. All right, we're going to make our connection with uh, former Oriole left-hander Ross Grimsley in just a minute. You're listening to the uh, Bat Around, and I want to remind everybody that uh, Stan the Fans MLB Power Rankings are back and ready. I've put out a couple mocks and uh, M-O-C-K-S uh, over the past couple weeks, and tomorrow I will be working on them a little feverishly with comments on all 30 teams. I don't do comments on all 30 teams every week of the season. Uh, during the season, I do 10 teams. The top 10 get comments. The bottom 20 don't get comments, but they will be released every Monday at noon on PressBoxOnline.com, both uh, content, written content, and video. Joining us right now is somebody who uh, is one of the smarter pitchers. Uh, I, I've gotten to witness over my years watching the Baltimore Orioles, and he's now a 105.7 The Fan analyst. He does the uh, pre-game show every game with Bob Haney. Uh, are you guys going on today? What time? No, we don't go on today. We do the uh, during the weekday stand. And uh, uh, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that. Well, they're sincere. <laughs> very, very nice of you. But, yeah, we just do it during the uh, – during the weekends. That's right. Ken Wyman the... does it during the weekends, Correct. doesn't he? Okay. Correct. So you're Monday through Friday, banker's hours, so to speak. <laughs> you got it. All right. <laughs> um, so if you were going on today in, a, in another half hour or so, what would you say about the fact that neither Cedric Mullins or Chris Davis is in the lineup against uh, James Paxton today? Absolutely. That I think that, uh, that sends a, a kind of a statement. You know, uh, Mullins doesn't hit very well against left-handed pitchers. He yep. hits, a, I think, a buck 56. And uh, obviously we know uh, Davis, his struggles against everybody left and right. Uh, but you will have to say that uh, at least he's swinging, so that's the only chance you got to hit the ball if you swing the bat. So even though he struck out, uh, what, three times the other day, he got pinch hit for. But, yeah, I think, uh, I think you might see Mullins in the future possibly just hit left-handed all the time. I, yeah. I imagine he struck out uh, 18 times and 45 at-bats right-handed, and he only struck out 19 times and 100-plus uh, at-bats uh, left-handed. So I think left-handed, he's a better hitter, and that might be the uh, the thing that he does. 
Yeah, we're, you know, when I go out and visit Boog Powell for one of his sandwiches uh, periodically during the course of the season, Boog always talks about Chris. He goes, swing hard just in case you hit something. Exactly. <laughs> especially in the especially in the ballparks in the AL East. The ball flies out of several of them, so you can't hit it unless you swing the bat. Hey, I, I know that they've been compromised by the injury to Alex Cobb and the ineffectiveness during spring training at Dylan Bundy, although who knows whether that was ineffectiveness born of him just trying to work on certain things. You, you're never quite sure of that. But does it surprise you that we're at game two and the Orioles are opting in on the opener concept? Well, I mean, it, it was, you know, in a polite way last year, I, I think we all said, a lot of us said, that the, we knew the Orioles uh, pitching was was not the greatest. I mean, you had a lot of starters that were probably fourth and fifth starters on other uh, teams, especially uh, championship teams. So, you, you know, you, you kind of knew what they had, and obviously now with the injury to Cobb, that makes it a little little tougher. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's you kind of shake your head and wonder what's going on, and then seeing uh, Cashner the way he pitched uh, yesterday, the other day, Thursday, and the way uh, Mike Wright pitched, uh, it kind of tells you we saw that last year. So that has to change, and you can have uh, all the analytics that you want uh, and have all the information, which they have. They have a, a just a ton of information, but if you can't execute as a pitcher or a player or a fielder or a hitter, you're they're not m- much good. So that, that, that has to change. A lot of a lot of pitching problems that they had last year. I mean, hey, uh, just some of the basic stuff. I think a lot of a lot of stuff went on uh, that a lot a lot of people weren't privy to, and uh, and then when they went to other teams, the pitchers they they dropped some comments that that they should have known anyway. Yeah, but the pitching was a problem. I mean, there's just a uh, just a little when the Oriole pitchers. Were ahead in the count. Hitters hit two twenty four and had an on base percentage of three hundred three. Okay. When they were behind in the count, hitters hit three twenty one and on base percentage of four ninety six. Wow. When they were behind in the count. They were almost the hitter was uh, had a fifty percent fifty percent chance of getting on base. Yeah. It really. So and then you look at Major League Baseball when the uh, when the uh, batters were behind in the count and the pitchers were ahead. Overall, hitters hit one ninety eight. An on base percentage of two oh seven. Now that, that that's unbelievable. Just being ahead in the count. That that's if the Orioles did nothing, Oriole pitching did nothing but throw strikes down in the zone, pitch after pitch, they would have fared much better. We're talking uh, with, with Dylan with Dylan Bundy especially, he got hurt in the middle of a plate up in the zone, belt high. You know, if he's down in the zone, the numbers were totally different. But he just was not able to get the ball down with any consistency. Is breaking ball and just checking the spin what spin rate, which is a big thing, you know, analytically. Uh, you check that his curveball was not uh, as effective, obviously, as his slider, uh, but his fastball spin rate was in the top five uh, percent. So he's a guy. It's got the stuff. He just has to be down in the zone and create more of a downward plane. But he threw the ball in a flat plane, and they took advantage of it. We're talking with Ross Grimsley, former Oriole pitcher, now on 105.7 The Fan before every weekday Oriole game. And we're broadcasting from the live casino hotel studio. Kyle. Uh, Ross, I mean, it's no secret the Orioles are one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in all of baseball. Vegas's over-under win total projection was at 59.5. 
it's not going to be a pretty 162-game stretch <laughs> for anybody no. in Baltimore. Darn it, I woke up this morning thinking it was. <laughs> but how, how do we as fans, as stakeholders in the organization's success, measure the progress in year one of Michael Elias right. and company's tenure? That's a good well, question. Well, you go back to Houston, and uh, Houston, you know, they lost 106 games in 2011, 107 the next year, 111 the next year. Then they lost 92, and it, it slowly got better. But you're going to go through some lean years here. And uh, I think on the team in 2013, the last time they lost 111 games, they lost 111 games. There were three players on that team that were with them last year. Right. So saying that, you might not even these players we see here with the sure. Orioles. You might not even see these guys when the when the team becomes uh, uh, you know championship caliber again. You could see a couple, but who are those guys? You know they had Houston had Altuve, they had Keuchel, they had uh, Springer. Uh, those three guys. Now, do the Orioles have an, an Altuve? Do they have a Keuchel? Do they, they have a Springer? The, the, only, the only one that's it, potentially good that's up now is Trey. Trey's Mullins, oh, yeah. it's, shot. It's not impossible that Mullins could yeah. stick. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of and you and you look at and you look look at Trey. Trey's a, a great guy. He had a had a tough year last year at times because I think because of his knee. Mm-hmm. But I, I think him and him and uh, uh, Trumbo are two guys that I think bring a lot to the table on this team as far as uh, paying attention, watch the game, know the situations. Uh, Trumbull knows it. Uh, Trey is, is learning it. Mm-hmm. They bring a lot to the table because you always saw them in the dugout uh, toward uh, uh, you know toward the home plate, always intently watching the game. You know, trying. I know Trey's trying to learn over three years. Trumbull has a pretty good idea, but they can be a big uh, uh, a plus to all the other players on the, on that young, especially the young players on that team. And and I think Trump, uh, not Trumbull, but uh, Trey has been thrown into that. Uh, that role as being the, the veteran, the guy to go to, and that was—I think that's, that's real important because if the truth was known, there wasn't a lot of stuff going on last year, and that uh, unfortunately you had the guys, but some guys just didn't want to yeah. do, do it. They didn't want to be the uh, the leader yeah. or anything. So, and it, it is—it's it, a new—it's a new atmosphere. It's a new uh, uh, time, and you're going to see some guys. I personally. I'm, it's kind of exciting to see uh, the guys progress, and that's what you got to look at. The fans go out, watch, and see who see who gets better. And obviously, some of the guys, you know, they're going to overachieve. Some guys are underachieve. But you watch and watch what they do and how they go about doing it and eliminating mistakes. And it should be exciting. But they're they're going to have trouble, you know, being over 500. Obviously, yeah. But it's a, it's a, a long road, and this is something the key to the whole thing. Bottom line. You got to get better players, and you're going to be drafting in a position to do where that. the better yep. players are going to be available. Just a matter of, of who you get, because yep. you're going to get the top picks in each round, and you probably get it for the next uh, few years, which is going to help your minor league uh, system. And that's that's the whole thing, right there. Better players. Yeah, you know, you make a great point about Trumbo. While I'm not as the wor- I'm not the biggest Mark Trumbo fan, wasn't in favor of giving him the three year extension. But in right. a season like this, his loss is, is tangible in that locker room right now. 
because it does puts more pressure on a Trey Mancini. And Chris is scuffling so bad that he can't be that veteran leader for anybody. He's no. got his own stuff he's working on. Yeah, really, it, it, it's tough. And I think the other thing you got to root for is some of these older veteran players. You know, Cashner, Cobb, uh, even uh, uh, Chris. You got to hope these guys, uh, Valar. You hope that he, all these guys, do well because they're going to end up moving them, you know, in the middle of the season or, or come to get younger players. And yep. uh, so it, that, that should be interesting and, and, and fun to watch. Hey, I just want to ask you, we've got about two minutes with you left today, uh, Ross, and I do appreciate the time, on a, especially on an off day. Um, no, no problem. Dylan Bundy, um, I have my own thoughts about what really has gone on with him since his days in high school, but what? What do you think has happened to Dylan Bundy? You know, I again, uh, like I said earlier, I think I don't think uh, a lot. Um, there's a lot of information that should have been passed uh, to some of these guys, mm-hmm. that uh, especially him, and I don't think it really was. And you're I talking think, about uh, you're it, talking about like analytic type of information. Well, Coaching. that, but just I mean, a lot of it's basic stuff. Yeah, I mean, but like I said, he was getting hit last year. He he was up in the zone most of the time. Was never able to make an adjustment down in the zone. Mm-hmm. So you can give him all the analytics you want, right? If you can't execute, execute, you can know the pitches, what to throw in this particular situation. But if you can't execute, it doesn't. It's no good. It doesn't matter. But. I mean, he when he's down in the zone, uh, the number I was looking at the numbers this morning. That when he's down in the zone, it's a lot different. The slider's a big pitch for him, and uh, it's just a matter that the curveball's kind of a show me pitch. His changeup is uh, uh, is all his pitches are effective. Mm-hmm. I think his curveball is probably his his fourth best pitch. But he he don't need more pitches. He needs better location, just yep. like a lot. Now, I tell you, the the Orioles. They were uh, they were second worst first pitch strikes. They were last in called third strikes. They I mean they threw a lot of balls. They were behind in the count, and I, I think a lot you tried. They tried to get a lot of these pitchers to throw perfect pitches in situations where they were behind in the count. They can't do it. They're not that they weren't able to do that. And we watched Cashner pitch the other day. And granted, some some pitches were close that they don't get the call on. But the umpires, the other teams, know the Orioles don't throw strikes. They, they know that. Yep. So they don't throw consistent strikes. You're not going to get pitches. So now you have to make better pitches. You're behind, and I just read the numbers when you're behind in the count, what happens. But you can't expect some of these guys to make 2-0, pitches on the corner. They, they just not, don't have that ability right now. And it puts them farther back in the hole. They walked eight guys the other day. And that, that just tells you right there. Uh, you know things are going to have to change, and just throw the ball over the plate and let the defense. You got to you're going to have a pretty good defense eventually. Yeah, throw it over the plate, let the defense make the plays, make some quality pitches. That's what it comes down to. All right, Ross Grimsley, many thanks again for being on again. Folks can listen to you, you before it. each and every Oriole game Monday through Friday during the entire uh, season of 2019. I'll talk to you soon, Ross. See you at the ballpark. Right, Thank you. All right. The latest edition of Press Box is available now on the cover of my interview, 
my sit-down with New Orioles General Manager Mike Elias to discuss the plan for guiding the franchise back to prominence. Plus, Hopkins legend Paul Rabel details his vision for how the PLL can be a game-changer for professional lacrosse. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com i got to tell you about another sponsor that's a loyal press box sponsor, and that's the Costas Inn. Normally on Saturdays, you hear Craig Heist and I both regale you with uh, tales of uh, great meals, great specials, great family atmosphere, great service, and, and not to mention great bar, great uh, music and entertainment there, but the specials, my God. Rib night, Monday night, Tuesday night is crab night, Wednesday night is steak night, Thursday night is lobster night, and Friday, Petrie and Tafalos has a whole host of specials on that menu for you, along with their regulars, things like the tuna melt, the crab cake, the crab soup, great salads, and all that. It's all there for you. Now, 48 years in business, the Costas Inn, we applaud them for their length of service to the area. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. One-third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. All Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. Maryland, it's the craziest time of year for college basketball. So don't miss a minute of the madness. Fridays through Sundays in March, watch your favorite teams compete for a spot in the championship on 74 feet of HD LED screens in the Sportsbook and Sports Bar at Laurel Park. With food and drink specials during games and thrilling live thoroughbred racing Friday through Sunday, there's no better place to indulge in the madness. Visit Facebook.com slash Laurel Park for details. We'll see you there. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Hey, KZ here with KO from the Fantasy and Reality Football Show. It is almost draft time, so we're in full swing. The reality is that the Ravens are going to pick somebody really, really good at 22. Well, that's that's the hope. I mean, we, we don't really know. I mean, in recent years, they haven't exactly had the best success, but we can always keep our fingers crossed, and the chances are it won't be a wide receiver, but the draft is indeed coming up. So you're telling me what I just said is a fantasy? Hopefully not. Fantasy Reality Football Show every Sunday from 10 a.m. to noon. Give us a listen. 
Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer here from Glenn Clark Radio. Kyle, you know, I'm regularly asked by folks about how we get so many great guests on our show. Well, I, I work really hard to get some of the biggest names on with us. I know you do, and the world recognizes it, but I want to challenge you to try to get some even bigger guests on the show moving forward. Okay, who do you have in mind? Well, nothing crazy. Like, what about Tim Tebow? Oh. Or, or how about Leonardo DiCaprio or, or Lady Gaga, maybe Barack Obama? Uh, you know what? I'll settle for Wilt Chamberlain. But I think he died. What? Yeah, like 20 years ago. So that's a maybe? Maybe Java Chamberlain. Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. No one wants to talk to Java Chamberlain. If trying something new was a bad idea, many of us would still be wearing polyester. This message is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. You may know us for our great burgers and wings, but Glory Days pros mix it up with the fresh cedar plank salmon, cut in-house and grilled to perfection, or sizzling and juicy steaks, meaty ribs, we have handcrafted salads and sandwiches by our talented chefs. Change tastes good, we promise. Experience the Glory Days Grill menu in all its glory. Glory Days Grill, great food. Good sports. And we are back on the battle round, broadcasting from the live casino hotel studio every Saturday from 10 to 12. And all of our programming, uh, the Sunday Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Kyle um, Ottenheimer, along with uh, host Ken Zalis, is also broadcast from the live casino hotel studio, as is Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to 12. Joining us right now is a part of the PressBox family. Their, um, their podcast, Section 336, is available on our, uh, f- on our uh, platform here at PressBoxOnline.com uh, slash radio. And if you go there, you'll see a spot you can listen in anytime, day or night, to the most recent uh, podcast of Section 336. Joining us right now is the man who started it all. Josh Soroka. Josh, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm I'm doing well. Uh, you know my brother will be upset, though, anytime he, he, he doesn't get credit for starting Section 336. Well, that's that's but, that's brother Matt, right? Yeah, that's Matt. Matt Soroka. He had a blog that he posted about once a year on now, does he, everything else I've done. Now, who started Section 336? You or so, him or you two along with Bert, your brother-in-law? Uh, we kind of started it all together. Right. We've been sitting in Section 336 for like over 20 years and turned it into a blog and then the podcast. All right. Well, it's a lot of fun, and I was happy to be uh, invited back again uh, this year. We did it. Uh, we make it sort of our ritual to do it right before the season starts. But this is also Section 336's third year of doing Birdland Radio. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit what exactly is Birdland Radio? Yeah, so it's it's basically just a chance to celebrate like fan-made Orioles content. So we invite uh, bloggers and podcasters, YouTubers, all to come and hang out and let's just fill a day with new content, excited for the new Orioles year. Um, you know, there's more excitement in previous years where we thought we had a chance, but this year it's, there's still excitement of watching this new team rebuild and also it's podcasters, bloggers, YouTubers. We're all together and doing a one-day broadcast tomorrow, all on the same stream together from 9 a.m. till probably about 10, 10.30 p.m., so over 12 hours of content. Now, your house out there in Arnold, Maryland, is the site of your studio, 
What does your wife think of Birdland Radio each each year to have the invasion of people in her home the entire uh, day? No, I mean no. She's she's very supportive. Uh, no, she loves it. She, she deserves. Good. She deserves she a knows. medal. She deserves a medal. Well, yeah, and she she understands that it's part of the Soroka family in our DNA is is being huge Oriole fans and. It's a part of our life. So All she right. learns that, has learned that part of, of our family. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about what's going to take place tomorrow. More specifically, we know sure. that you're going to get the, the action rolling at 9 to 10 in the morning with a special edition of Section 336. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's other, the cool thing is we get to showcase some, like, a bunch of little show, uh, podcasts and stuff that people may have not heard of. So, we're going to get things rolling in the morning. And then we've got this guy called SG Sports in studio. He does a YouTube channel dedicated to, like, Orioles and Ravens content. So he's going to be sharing about that. Uh, Adam Pohl from BaltimoreBaseball.com does his great minor league report that he'll be here doing. And then we've got Ryan Blake and Colin Andrews from 105.7 and RDT from Barstool all coming in to do a show, a podcast called Birdland BS. Uh, the Extra Point Show, Baseball is Boring, The Payoff Pitch, which is from some guys from Utah Street Report will be mm-hmm. here. Um, not Your Mama's Christian Podcast is an interesting one because they're not a sports talk show, but they're a local show that are huge Oriole fans that want to come and be a part of this. Okay. Um, then we got The Warehouse and Full Count Chaos, and then the Maryland Sports Blog writers are going to be doing an hour. So all right. and a then, bunch of content, all fan-made stuff, excited for the Orioles season. And then you guys come back again to do another live edition of Section 336, or do you rebroadcast yeah. the opening one? No, no, no. We'll come back in the evening, and what's cool about our ER is 336, this evening hour, is we'll take phone calls then. Okay. And and let people call in and, and just talk about Orioles or uh, the other shows or whatever they want to talk about. All right. That sounds all very interesting. I've got to ask you the uh the podcast on between four and five tomorrow. Baseball is boring. Who hosts yeah. that, and what is that? What is their kind of point of view? Um, I don't know. Okay. We'll find out tomorrow. Okay. Okay. I think I think they are just trying to uh, chose a name that would get the haters' attentions that are not baseball fans. Because right. I know those guys are big baseball and Oriole fans. All right. So it's not it's not going to be an hour of telling you how horrible baseball is. I know that. All right. Well, we're at we're at eleven thirty three in the morning on Saturday morning. The Orioles' first pitch is at one oh five. Can you tell? And I'm talking about the time, not the radio station. Of course, they're all on one oh five point seven. But Masson has the Oriole game at one oh five. Can you tell us? Um, what your reaction was, or do you know that neither Cedric Mullins or Chris Davis uh, are in the lineup today? Yeah, I saw that. I saw, and I saw lots of people reading into it of, well, this is Brandon Hyde's way, and it's the second day. He wants to see his entire team play. Mm-hmm. We saw Buck do this for years, where game two would have a different uh, guys out there because he wants to give everyone a chance to play in that first week of baseball. So, I wouldn't read into this of Davis won't go against lefties or, or Mullins either. I mean, I, I just think it's game two. Game two is also introducing a, a first and maybe sometime in their, in their history since 1954, the Orioles have used an opener of sorts, but uh, 
they're starting Nate Carnes today. Did that catch you at all by surprise when that was announced a couple days ago? Sure, because I don't think anyone wants to admit that they're doing the opener. But I do like Nate Carnes. I think I'm excited to see what he can do. And I don't know how long the opener can last, but why not do it for game two? This team should be experimenting. They should be trying anything. So why not an opener? What were your impressions about game one? I mean, clearly uh, Andrew Kashner kind of took the team out of the game uh, right away in the first inning, giving up that three-run bomb to, to Voight. Uh, but your thoughts overall? Yeah, the Orioles were kind of at least had a chance in it the entire time. When you're playing the New York Yankees, which are built and stacked to just clobber the Orioles, uh, I was happy that it wasn't a blowout, that they were in it. Uh, very disappointed in Kashner. Um, annoyed with the base running at the beginning, which is just bad luck of when they started to get some hits together and the ball hit the law. It was a frustrating start to the game. But uh, I don't know. I, don't, I have such low expectations that I was excited that the Orioles were just in it. All right. Well, they're going to be in it today at the start of the game as well. They face left-hander James Paxton at 105. Uh, and you can watch the game on Masson or listen to it on 105.7 The Fan. Uh, and Paxton will face off against... Uh, Nate Carnes, who I'm expecting to probably go, as long as it goes well, probably go two innings. That's my guess. Who do you think follows him on the hill? Um, I don't know, because we used a lot of pitchers on game one, a lot more than I thought we were going to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. Normally when you would call an opener, I would think you would say what's coming next, but I guess you don't. So I don't know. I guess Mike Wright would be an option if he's not considered an option for the rest of the rotation. So I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm more interested looking at the lineup and the fact that last April there were only two guys who were on this lineup that are on the team now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. One of the things I pointed out today and I pointed out last night is Brandon Hyde addressed the uh, – 8,000-pound elephant in the room and Chris Davis by saying the reason he batted him seventh, he's trying to, you know, he thinks Chris has done a terrific job with all that he's got going on personally, sort of ascribing to the new the new way the Orioles are doing things. His attitude's been very positive, but he wanted to take the pressure off of Chris, and I thought it was ironic that in batting him seventh, he was doing the same thing last year that last year Buck Showalter did by batting Chris Davis first, which was trying to take the pressure of being a run producer off of the guy making $20 million plus. Right. Well, he also said to much, many fans, upset fans, he said that Chris Davis will have plenty of time to work this out, that there's no two-week evaluation or anything, that they're going to give him time to figure it out and fix himself. And we, we will certainly keep our eye on that and see how it, happen, how it, how it unfolds. Again, the third year that uh, Section 336 is inviting uh, all these different podcasters into their studio tomorrow with Birdland Radio. And the reason it's on tomorrow, it's the Sunday before the home opener. Is that correct? That's exactly right. That's how we do it. All right. And again, it starts at 9 o'clock in the morning and goes till about 1030 tomorrow night. Um, bookended, the entire day is bookended by two 
uh, podcast of Section 336. How can people, if they do, if they go to our website and do pressboxonline.com uh, slash radio, they can listen to your podcast. Can they listen to all of Birdland Radio tomorrow? Uh, yeah, so our show is up there, but for but that's recordings that are posted to our feed. So for Birdland Radio, okay. we'll be flooding social media, or you can go to our Facebook page, Section 336, okay. or go to com. All right, that sounds good. Tomorrow morning, it all commences at 9 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to grab a listen a couple times during the day. Appreciate your being on with us, Josh. All right. Thank you, Stan. All right, buddy. All right. There you have it. Josh Sirocco, Section 336. And uh, he makes way. Boy, this show has fl- flown by today, hasn't it? Funny how that works, right? It's just Beautiful amazing. outside. It'll be 12 o'clock before you know Yeah. I'm heading down, by the way, to Sliders. Oh, yeah, for the Clancy uh, for reveal. For the Clancy reveal. It's what time? Is that going to be at 1 o'clock? 1 o'clock is when it officially kicks off. You yeah. are, as they said, uh, you're welcome to stop by sooner, though. I had a taste of uh, the Pilsner the other morning. It's fancy Clancy's, it's right? Stuff. Perfect for uh, a Camden Yard's sunny day. And I have to tell you, the, pull, the design oh, yeah. of the pull handle was really great. They are absolutely amazing, the taps. Are you going to stop by? Is there a shot uh, you'll make it down there? I'm not sure. I'm going to see what I can do. It's not... Yeah, I, got, I know... We'll see. We will see. I'm not going to make any promises, though. All right. We will see. Yeah, we, we appreciate that. We don't want promises that Look, you can't keep. That's the thing. I don't want to lie to people and say I'm 100% going to be no. there, but it's certainly on my radar, and I'm going to see if I can make my way over Two sliders to get a to get a load of all. Hopefully, it's going to be a really fun time. I Clancy yeah. deserves. To I'm be, hoping there's a couple hundred people. They're getting the block there. shut down. So yeah, it they be, got the block shut down. So I don't know where the hell I'm going to park. Where would <laughs> where would you park? Oof, I would likely try around the corner out. You know, like over by the way, Bruce. If I were you, I would just take the light rail down from here. Really? Yeah, to the convention center and just walk. Yeah. Right over to sliders. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, that's fine. I'm if I walk, were you, I'm going to walk a couple blocks, though. There you I go. Mean, yeah. Whatever. whatever I will works. walk a couple blocks. Um, we're going to make our connection now with one Craig Heist, who is already at Nats Park uh, in D.C. Uh, as the Nats get ready for another matchup. What a pitching ma- The series of pitching matchup. Uh, DeGrom, versus, DeGrom versus Scherzer in game one. Game two is Strasburg against Noah Syndergaard. And tomorrow's game is Patrick Corbin versus Zach Wheeler. And uh, you want to introduce Mr. Heist? Uh, sure, why not? Joining us right now is the co-host of the Bat Around. He apparently just pulled into Nationals Park and is ready to get going in a couple ways. He is the one and only Craig Heist. He joins us here on the Bat Around. Craig, how are you, sir? I'm good, Kyle. What's going on, man? Hi, Steve. Does that mean you got to run in about five? Uh, no, I got about ten minutes. Go okay, ahead. Okay, perfect. All right. First of all, opening day. A lot of times, you don't see the very, very best in a pitching matchup. You got <laughs> one. You got one on Thursday that was almost otherworldly, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. I mean, Degrom was fabulous. Uh, Nats had some chances, but they ran themselves out of one inning in the third with Victor Robles making kind of a boneheaded uh, base running play while he was at third base. And then uh, uh, a couple of base hits later on, they had another shot at him. But really, when he had to make pitches, he did. And he struck out 10 over 6. But Max Scherzer pitched into the eighth, and he was uh, just as dominant. He gave up the home run to Cano 
with two outs in the first uh, on a changeup. But I mean, he strikes out twelve, and you know, if if Max has outings like that throughout the year, he's going to feel pretty good about the way his year winds up. Question about managing. Uh, I'm not the biggest Davey Martinez fan in the world. You know that. Your thoughts on him allowing Scherzer to bat in a one nothing game in the bottom of the seventh. I know there were two out, nobody on. It's probably vastly different if a base runner's on, but you're going against Lugo in the seventh. You knew you were going to face Familia and then um, – and then, uh, what's his name, uh, Ed- Edwin Diaz in the ninth. Don't you think that's the spot to pinch it for Scherzer there? No, not really. I mean, I would have thought so, too, and people have been questioning him. But uh, just exactly what you said, had there been somebody on base uh, when his turn came up, he would have been pinch hit for. But, uh, you, know, he, you know, Max told Davey that <laughs> if it comes down to it, and at that time it's one nothing. at that time, uh, you know, he told Davey, he says, if I, you know, I can give you another inning if you need. And, uh, once there was nobody on base and there were two outs already, uh, and, and there, you know, he went ahead and, and didn't pinch hit for him, let him hit. And Scherzer came out and threw 109 pitches, uh, into the eighth and he got taken out with two outs. But my way of looking at it is there was nobody, I don't care whether it's Lugo or Familia or, or Diaz, there was nobody coming in at that bullpen that was going to be as good as DeGrom was that day. So uh, I, I think it's apples and oranges, really. I certainly understand the point. And it's I well just taken. thought I thought it was I, I thought the back the back end of the point though is that he then didn't allow Scherzer to f- complete the inning. He takes him well, out, yeah, he struck out a batter with two on and a runner on first, and he hands it over his bullpen, who gave up an important second run. Well, you know, it was an important second run, but, you know, Robinson Cano can fist one right over the shortstop's head against Scherzer as well as he can, uh, you know, Matt Grace. So from that standpoint, I mean, like I said, I I just think it's apples and oranges. I mean, I I understand your thinking, Mm -hmm. but I also understand what Davey was trying to do too. Okay. Um, Today you're back out there again at the park. uh, A pitching matchup. That might be a, just a notch below the other day, but it wouldn't shock you if these two guys in uh, Syndergaard and Strasburg have big games. Not, not at all, and uh, I would think that this is uh, going to be another one of those as advertised. So I think it's important for Strasburg, though, to get off to a good start. Uh, and, and, you know, Syndergaard is, you know, a very tough pitcher, but... Uh, it's going to be real hard to top what we saw on opening day, for sure. You alluded to the base running blunder made by Victor Robles. I thought the most interesting part of the play, though, was how a veteran in Robinson Cano saw it out of the right side of his eyeball, saw that uh, Robles had not only gone back, but I think he anticipated or saw Robles then, after being frozen and going backwards, then take off, and Cano didn't miss a heartbeat in in tossing one, and they had him by 30 feet. Yeah, it was pretty much all one motion, and uh, I don't know what Victor was thinking about, you know, and uh, the third base coach, Bobby Henley, you gotta, you got to make sure you're in his ear telling him what the situation is because if he runs on contact there with the ball hitting the, in the hole, 
at shortstop, he probably scores. So, and then there's your tie game, and we're looking at a different conversation. But you got, you know, he's he's young. You're hoping he's going to learn. And uh, what's maybe more alarming to Nats fans is the fact that they they stressed, you know, all year long mm-hmm. or all spring long about uh, about fundamentals, and uh, it reared its ugly head uh, in the first game of the year. So, from that standpoint. That could be a concern. You can't. You got to. You got to stop that and nip that in the bud, as Barney Fife would say. <laughs> <laughs> You're quoting one of the great philosophers of uh, of our time. You gotta Absolutely. Nip, yeah. You got to nip it in the bud, Andy. Got to nip it in the bud. Hey, um, Heisty. Um, the fun doesn't get any better after the Mets are in today and tomorrow, finishing up their three game series. Uh, the Phillies come to town with one Bryce Harper in the lineup. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun on after an off day on Monday, on Tuesday night. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how he gets uh, greeted here at Nats Park. It'll be interested, uh, interesting to see what, if anything, he has to say. If he's going to talk, I can't imagine why he wouldn't. Right. But uh, I'm certainly expecting that aspect of it, so we'll see. Do uh, you expect, you know, there's no question that um, uh, Bryce Harper sold a lot of tickets in Philadelphia once he was signed by the Phillies. You think, are you expecting bigger crowds uh, for those games and might otherwise be present with him coming to uh, Yeah, probably, but, you know, some of that's going to be, some of that's going to be the Philadelphia fans, so we'll, we'll wait and see. But uh, I, I fully expect a contingent from Philly to come down here. Uh, but the Nats, the Nats have drawn very well uh, for, for games against the Phillies and for games against teams in the division. Now, it's early in the year. You may not get the kind of crowd you would in the summer, but I fully expect both those games to be close to sellouts. I really do. All right. We know you got to get to work, but I know Kyle has one basketball question for you before uh, we let you go. I hate, he, he doesn't even have to ask. I hate Duke. And you and me both. You and me well, both. Well, yeah. yeah. I'm not. He, he set and me it, up on that isn't one. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how Zion can go through the middle of the lane, absolutely close hang, uh, <laughs> up around the neck, the guy who's defending him, and yet it's that guy that gets called for the foul. It's really amazing, Kyle. I look, for what it's worth, Zion is the, the hardest Duke player to dislike I've seen in my life. That being said, uh, I would really wish one of you staff for Virginia Tech. Uh, again, one, of the, Duke, the, one of the Duke reporters last night stated it very well when I said, how does he miss that call? He's standing right on the sideline, meaning the official, and that play was right in front of him. And the, and the Duke guy says, he's Zion Williams. That's how. That's, and that pretty much summed it up. That does sum it up. How, how did the Virginia Tech guy miss that shot at the end? Well, you know, but he, I don't know how he missed it, but but I think he caught it, Stan, and, in, and while he was in midair, he just kind of pushed the ball toward the basket instead of making sure that he wound up, you know, I, getting an accurate shot to the I, basket. But you know what? I, Virginia Tech should have never, that should have never even happened uh, because, quite truthfully, Virginia Tech uh, was out of bounds uh, on the inbound play. Yeah. Yep. And they should have never even had the ball. 
You mean on the so, previous play yeah, to the inbounds? Yeah, right. on the previous play, yeah. They should never even have the ball. You know what I think happened on that play, and I mean this in seri- all seriousness. I thought that Zion Williamson was contesting that guy. I don't think he fouled him, but I think the, the sheer mass that he is, I think he moved the guy slightly over that when he dro- he thought he was dropping the ball almost in the basket, he had moved because of the sheer mass that Zion <clears throat> Williamson is. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was uh, a pretty amazing give play. Buzz, give, give Buzz Williams all the credit in the world. Yeah. Look, great design play. Yeah. And he talked about that after the game. He said, all three of those last opportunities, I would have done it the same way all over again. Uh-huh. And he said, especially, especially the one, because he explained the difference between point six on the clock and 1.1 right. on the clock. Uh, he was going to do it either way, he said, but the 1.1 gave us the, the ample opportunity to make the play to tie the game. Kyle made the point earlier, and one of our guests also who saw the play, Jared Diamond from Wall Street Journal, made the point of saying that almost it seemed like the player still thought they only had .6 left rather than that he had more time to kind of collect himself and then get the ball in there. Well, that's possible. Yeah. I don't think there's any question about that. And that could change your mindset, but, uh, you know, either way, to me, it's basically uh, inbound, just touch it and try to get this up to the rim as quickly as you can. All, all, all kidding aside, uh, what are you expecting tomorrow in that matchup in Michigan State and Duke? Well, I think Duke has to worry about uh, the guard uh, that Michigan State has. He's probably one of the best around. Cassius Wilson. Yeah, exactly, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see how Michigan State handles Zion. I think that's the key to the game, right there. I think Michigan State's more experienced team, and I think I'm expecting them to win the game tomorrow. I really am. Well, fingers, fingers crossed. I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not necessarily expecting them to win it, yeah. but. I sure as hell hope they do. <laughs> I, know, I know that. Mm. I know that. <laughs> you got to nip. I'll tell you one thing. If you hate Duke, you got to nip them in the bud. You got to nip them in the bud. <laughs> no question about it. Hi, Steve. Thanks for coming on. Enjoy your day out at Nats Park today. I'm all right, Stan. All right, buddy. All right. There you go. All right, the Craig Heist uh, machine is uh, on the way into Nats Park. Uh, We will take a final timeout right now, and uh, then we'll come back and close things out. i got to tell you about the Costas Inn. You just heard Craig Heist. He and I love the place. We've been going there for years, since the mid-'90s. They have now been around. That's like 24 years ago. That means there was probably like 24 years that we didn't know that the Costas Inn even existed. Which means that you had about 24 years of pretty rough times. It was tough. They were always wondering where are we going to go right. eat, where to get crabs, where to get those nightly specials, where to get the best in crab soup, the best in steamed crabs. We didn't know from 1971 Till ninety five, the, wait, the I wait's discovered been, the weight's been lifted. Though. I discovered it. Paul Mittermeier and I discovered it when we were over at another station on the radio dial six eighty on the radio dial. Paul and I, uh, Paul checked it out. We had a caller, by the way, Don from Dundalk. He used to call the show late in the show, like about twelve fifty in the morning, and he'd say. Stan, you got to come down to the Costas Inn. <laughs> so I said, Paul, why don't you stop by and tell me what this place is like? 
Paul said, hey, I met the guy, that one of the owner's son, Nick Triantafilos. He says, we, we got to go out there and talk to him. Went out there, been sponsors of everything I've done ever since for 24 years. Costas in. Couldn't have done a better commercial without Kyle Ottenheimer helping me. The Costas in, 4100 North Point Boulevard, 48 years of excellence in the restaurant business. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dining orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Section 336 here with all your Baltimore sports talk. The Raven season is now done, but the Orioles season is just ahead. We have a new GM. We have a new manager. We have a few new baseball players out there. Reason for optimism. I don't know if you can name any of those new players, and I think we won 40-some games last year. Yeah, but I remember a terrible year in 1988 where we were able to turn it around the very next year in 1989. Why not 2019? Why yeah, not? why not? Why not check out Section 336 at Section336.com, Facebook, or on Twitter and iTunes as well. Just search for Section 336. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Stan the Fan Charles sits down with new Orioles general manager Mike Elias to discuss the plan for guiding the franchise back to prominence. Plus, Hopkins legend Paul Rabel details his vision for how the PLL can be a game changer for pro lacrosse. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Glory Days Grill-to-Go menu is based on a simple reality. You can't spend your whole life at Glory Days Grill. Your boss wouldn't like it, and neither would your kids or your dog. So come to Glory Days and get your food to go. On your way to soccer practice, or to the office, or to, well, wherever. We know the hardest part of visiting Glory Days Grill is leaving. But at least you take a little piece of us wherever you go. Glory Days Grill. Great food. Good sports. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square is very, very popular, as you've undoubtedly noticed if you've been there recently. Want to skip the lines completely? Download the Chick-fil-A app, and your food will be ready when you get there, but not a minute sooner. Your hot, fresh waffle fries, fresh, never-frozen chicken, and ice-cold drinks will be delivered to you when you get there. They'll bring it out to your car, or you can come in and get it without standing in line. Plus, ordering through the Chick-fil-A app earns you reward points that will add up to free stuff. And the app remembers what you like. So if you like extra pickles, then the app remembers. If you prefer less ice in your drink, the app remembers. Anytime you customize your order, the Chick-fil-A app will file it away and remember for your next visit. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. If you need help downloading the app, ask the Nottingham Square store owner, Steve. Steve can do anything. Chick-fil-A, get the app, skip the lines. 
Alrighty, we are back with the last uh, couple of minutes of the show. A reminder that uh, in addition to the bat around uh, and after bird watching, which is going to commence sometime this this week, uh, I've decided to hold it off until probably until like the Orioles are home. Really. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I might do sneak one in maybe the last one night this week. Kind of thing, yeah, yeah, like maybe the Toronto afternoon game Wednesday. Series wraps. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. But uh, we'll start doing some of those probably over 100 times again for the third straight summer. But in addition to that, after bird watching, which you can watch on my Facebook page because I do it from home, uh, I'll also be doing the bat around every Saturday from 10 to 12. And... Uh, releasing my MLB power rankings every Monday around noon. Good stuff. So, yeah, all good, good stuff. stuff yeah, a lot of good Hopefully stuff. Hopefully the Orioles can put some good stuff onto the field and on tape this year. And uh, we always know Camden Yards will do its part. Yeah, my 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 second to last mock-up, I did like three mock-ups during the spring. Mm-hmm. I had the Orioles moved ahead of the Marlins. The Orioles were 29th. But my last mock-up, yeah. the Orioles had slid back to uh, yeah. 30th. It's a pretty drastic difference. Like, four wins separates the Orioles and Marlins and Vegas's win projections mm-hmm. or over-under totals. And then after that, it's like a 10-win difference between the Orioles and everybody else. The Marlins and the Orioles, though, appear to be leading the pack when it comes to a deficiencies. Uh, I think Texas and San Francisco have a chance to be pretty bad, too. Detroit I think San also. Francisco is going to be Detroit really Detroit and bad. Kansas City have... I think... Detroit's going to surprise people a little bit. I th- I'm not suggesting they're going to be near 500. I think they're a 70-win team. They were at 68 was their over-under, yeah. so yeah. it's around that point. Speaking of which, it's interesting, though, Kyle. I got this email, and I'm not giving away phone numbers like I almost did at the beginning of the show, but Scott Cooley uh, at Scott at Cooley Media, or Cool Scott at Cool Media PR uh, sends this out each year, and it's um, sportsbettingag.ag posted odds on which major league manager will be the first to be fired or resign during the 2019 season. Number one, take a guess. Out of 30 managers, number out one. Out of 30 managers, number Someone one. I mentioned a couple times today. Someone you met, Davey Johnson? Davey Martinez. Davey Martinez. Davey Martinez is... Seven to one to be the first guy fired. Our friend Don Mattingly and Andy Green and Mickey Calloway are all next at nine to one. And then Clint Hurdle, Rich Renteria, Ron Gardenhire are next at ten to one. This was interesting. Scott Service, Ned Yost, Gabe Kapler, Dave Roberts are next at twelve to one. Then Joe Madden at fourteen to one. And this one shocked me. Brandon Hyde, eighteen to one. Yeah, he's no not chance. going anywhere. No he's chance. not going anywhere. He's perfect guy for for what the job description no is. Chance he's going after All right. Anyway, want to remind you one more time. I'm heading down to Sliders. I hope to be there uh, by one o'clock for the um, the release of uh, Fancy Clancy's uh, Pilsner. The Should be a good time. Tap beer. Should yeah. be a real good time. Okay, they've got the block. Uh, blocked off there between there, sliders and mm-hmm. pickles. Uh, they'll have it cordoned off, so uh, park and plan your ride accordingly. Uh, again, we thank um, everybody for listening. We thank our guest today, Andrew Stetka, Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal, Ross Grimsley of 105.7 The Fan, Josh Soroka, Section 336, 
and Craig Heist of everywhere in the media. We remind you we've been broadcasting live from the Live Casino Hotel Studios where you can listen to the broadcast tomorrow from 10 to 1, 10 to 12 of Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Ken Zalis and Kyle Ottenheimer. Have a great rest of your weekend, everybody.